So as we're, going, as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're learning about all kinds of things, of course. And the last two chapters predominantly are speaking about the new Jerusalem or heaven or that place that Jesus has prepared for us. And uh, again, he wants us to see it. Uh, and it's wise for us to want to know to see it. If you're going to move somewhere, you want to, want to know where you're moving to, right? If you're going to go even take a vacation, you usually at least get some brochures or scan stuff on your phone or internet. Find out where you're going. If you're going to buy a new, move to a new city, you try to find out what's something about that city. Well, God give, he has a brochure here at the back of the Bible. It tells you a little bit about the new city you're going to live in, New Jerusalem. And so as we get into chapter 22, it's all of chapter 21 pretty much, and most of chapter 22 is describing heaven, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the greater heaven, that is the atmosphere, and coming down to rest on the earth, a new earth, not the millennium, but a new from the new recreation earth. And, um, and it's described like a beautiful bride. And I just want to say tonight that these five, last these verses, these first five verses of chapter 22, are basically the last things described about heaven. The rest is some closing things and admonitions that we'll look at in probably a couple of messages. But really, this is it for the last message about heaven in our chronology here. <clears throat> so let's look here. We looked last time for a couple messages about the location of John seeing it on a mountain, a high mountain, uh, so he could view the profile of it, and it's four square. And the wall, uh, the, 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 the wall, great and high, the measurement, by the way, of that wall could have been actually the thickness and not the pre a preliminary wall. But anyways, it's a glorious wall. It's got foundations there of different stones. Not that the foundation has stones in it, but that each layer of a foundation is one whole stone. The gates of that city are not made of pearls, but are one whole pearl. And um, a reminder of kind of as every time a person goes into heaven, uh, it's kind of a reminder, it's symbolic reminder of how you got saved. The way a pearl is formed is that an oyster is irritated and has a, it has to deal with an irritation that's introduced into it, and it turns it into a gem. And Jesus took the, the greatest irritation on his body and turns it into our salvation. That's how a pearl won't be formed unless there's an irritation to the, to the, to the clam or oyster. And so gigantic, uh, huge, huge pearls there. Some of you are like, where's that? I want to get some of that clam chowder there. Does he have the clam chowder with it? That big? No, but it's a big old pearl there. And then <clears throat> now we're going to get into, <clears throat> it's, it's a garden type of theme, these first five verses. So we're going to look at it as kind of our, our theme tonight as we're talking about heaven, the new Jerusalem. It has this garden theme, so we're going to call it the new Eden, the new garden of Eden. Look at chapter 22. Let's read verses 1 through 5. And then we'll, for our time together, we'll, we'll go through it again. <clears throat> but it says, he, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. <clears throat> and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants 
shall serve him and his and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads and they and there shall be no night there and they need no candle neither light of the sun for the lord god giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever you know <clears throat> my um uh, my wife and I <clears throat> got to go to, um, in Tennessee, over in, let's see, I can't remember what's that, but it's uh, by the Grand Old Opry. There's this huge hotel, Opryland Hotel. Has anybody ever visited the Opryland Hotel? Not that you stayed there. Anybody ever been there? You've been there, okay. The Opryland Hotel, it, t- it used to be one of the world's largest. It's like one of the top or of the 30 largest hotels in the world that's in there in the top 30 largest hotels I can't remember how many rooms it's fairly old too um, it's an amazing place this Opryland Hotel it's ne- you know near the Grand Old Opry and then there's I think a mall nearby <clears throat> really if you're ever in that area stop in there you don't have to stay at the hotel I can't remember if we paid something to go into what I'm trying to tell you was this basically this huge garden and um, indoor garden. In fact, you could see from the freeway the kind of the greenhouse structure of the whole thing. It's huge. It's tall. Basically, you have this design of this hotel that goes like this, and in the middle that runs through it is a huge garden. There's actually a river there. I think they call it the Delta River. I think they, if I remember right, something like when they made this river, they went and got like water from all of the major rivers in the United States and contributed to it to get it started. Kind of a symbolic thing there. There's a river, a little river in this garden. This major, what do you call a, uh, I'm, I'm losing my vocabulary here for another name for like a large garden or a place of foliage, but um, abrarium? Ar, ar, huh? Arboretum, it'd be like a huge one like that, okay? They keep it at 71 degrees constant. Um, Like over 50,000 different plants and even some tropical ones and nice walkways. It's really nice. I mean, it's lovely. Walking through there and there's kind of different sections. There's one that feels a little more tropical and one that's more flowers and something else and you can kind of feel a mist. There's a waterfall. I can't remember how tall the waterfall is, but my wife and I took pictures there. Susie and I had gone there before, too, when I first took her to the Bill Rice Ranch Bible Institute. <clears throat> it's really neat. I, I would, it's a great spot to visit. Yeah, and, um, but, but it was, you know, it's a nice garden. It's what men can do. We can make our gardens. We can make our uh, development of plants and flowers and all that. Now, as we look at this today, as we read this passage, it brings up really a beautiful comparison. When you start reading about a river and tree and fruit, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're at the end of the Bible here. We're learning of a garden. Wait a minute, that's how the Bible started. With a garden. Uh, and so you see a comparison right now. Let's just reflect on this here. The Bible started out with the creation, and then the, in the particular development of God was a garden. And he said, Adam, I made this garden. You just kind of tend to it. And, and let me give you some comparison. In the, in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> there, is, uh, there was a river. In this one, there's a river. We'll see. In the Garden of Eden, there was some fruit trees. 
In this one, there's some fruit trees. It's really one kind of tree, which is in back in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life. In this one, the fruit trees are the tree of life, according to the text. In the <clears throat> Garden of Eden, <clears throat> they encountered a curse, which triggered sorrow and pain, and they're actually driven from it. In this garden, the curse is gone. No sorrow in this, nor pain in the context of this garden. <clears throat> At the original Garden of Eden, excuse me, <clears throat> um, men, as he was introduced to his curse, began to have to serve God, pardon me, began instead of tending to the garden, now had to start tending to the ground with rigor and obstacles like weeds and just other stuff. This one, there's no rigor. There's no, the service is a glad service to God. We've seen somebody that says they, his servant shall serve him. In the, in the Garden of Eden, men were after man and woman had sinned. They were driven out from God's presence. In this new garden, you'll see that they are not, we are not driven out of God's presence. We're in it, and we even see his face. It's amazing how, that, how the Bible begins, it ends in similar fashion. Watch this. The Bible begins with a garden and a marriage. And it ends with a garden and a marriage. <clears throat> and a lot of the things that you see kind of failing and faulting and lost in Genesis are shown recaptured, renewed, and a lot better at the end in Revelation. <clears throat> That's what you see. Revelation wraps up everything that man messed up and lost. God says, I'll give it. You get it back in Christ, and it's better. That's not that I polished up the old one. I got you a brand better garden. Better. There's a better marriage. There's a better city. There's a better heaven. There's a better fruit tree. There's a better river. All that. So let's look at this here tonight of a garden. Let's give some descriptions of this. Uh, what's happening here? You will see a river, a pure river first. We're going to see some produce second. <clears throat> Third, we're going to see the proximity to God you enjoy in that garden. And then fourth, we'll see that there's a perpetual order and dominance, perpetual control in this, this garden feel of heaven. So look, again, what was lost in Eden and lost in Genesis gets regained to only better. Let's notice there's a better river here. Look at verse 1. He showed me, what does it say? A pure river. A pure river. How many like, uh, well, first of all, it's good to have water. We need it. Our bodies need it. Uh, we need it to clean, right? Uh, ourselves and to drink and all that and everything. But it's just nice to listen to water, isn't it? I love listening to water. I'm weird. I'm weird. I, maybe it's weird. I like when I'm, if I need to take a nap, sometimes it helps me. Like if I'm laying down and my bathroom's there, my wife goes in, shuts the door, and she's running water out of the sink or even in the shower. I'm like, oh, I can just sleep better. I don't know why. Now, sometimes doing it out my phone, it just doesn't cut it. Like here, let's do Pandora. That just, that sounds like, no, it doesn't do it. Give me some maybe big speakers that would help. But water, isn't it water nice? It's nice to have water. It's nice to have a lot of water. It says he showed me a pure river. It's nice to have pure water, a lot of pure water. There's places in the United States where they've got, I think it's gotten better, 
<clears throat> nowadays, this is a good side of being environmental. You want to clean our rivers. Years ago, it'd be like we had there was bad rivers. You know, there was certain rivers you do not want to fish downstream from a factory that was next to that river. You know, you got three-eyed fish and stuff, and you might eat it and get a third eye yourself. You know, um, so there was. It's nice to have a river. It's nice to have a, a lot of water, but you want a pure river. So God, so John is shown by this angel, giving him a tour of heaven. He showed me a pure river. Now, some of you are thinking, "Now wait a minute. There's a river. Those are fish. How many of you like to fish? Anybody like to fish? My boys, yeah." All right, I don't know if there's fish, so let's go to the next point. Anyways, I don't think there's fish. All right, but it would be cool. Anybody ever been to the fish hatchery over by, um, was it Tonto Fish Hatchery over there on your way to Woods Canyon Lake? Anybody ever been to that fish hatchery? Ah, oh, it's cool. Come on. How many of you kids have not been to the fish hatchery, Tonto Fish Hatchery? You've not been there. Johnny, you've been there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We need to go again. He been you got to go. It's pretty cool. It's just right off the road there, east of Payson, and i got to go north a little bit of, of Christopher Creek. Anyways, all right, what are we looking at? The river. Yes, it's a river. What else? There's some attributes. A river of life. It's called a, a river of life. That is, it's somehow it's lively. By the way, I can't figure out all this stuff. I'm going to give you my best on it. It's just saying a river of life. That is, there's something lively. Has It portrays vitality. It's fresh. It's not a river of death. Have you ever seen some rivers? You're like, ugh. That looks kind of like death there. This river is saying life. It's a river of life. It pictures Jesus Christ, who we take as our Savior. He is our river of life. Another attribute of this river, it's clear as crystal. That Notice what it says, a river of life, clear as crystal. I like to see that. How many of you ever grab some water? How many of you big brothers ever grab a cup on the counter and go like this and say, wait a minute, was my little brother drinking this? I knew when my little brother was drinking it. I, in fact, I, I was like, yep, that's my brother. He drank that one. I could backwash and stuff. I'm like, oh, man, it wasn't clear as crystal at all, you know? And so I remember one time in Flagstaff, when I worked as a counselor at West Branch when it was in Flagstaff, it was like halfway through the summer. They had well water there, if I remember right. Halfway through the summer, we're like, we're drinking water. And it was like kind of like orange. And I was like, what in the world? And I actually didn't, I didn't taste the difference much. I didn't really taste it, but they said, no, it's fine. It's just something about the well. And I was going, I don't know. You know, I think I took a, after, the, I think we took a, maybe a, dr a couple of drinks and then me and the guys went and got water bottles at a Safeway or something. But, uh, you know, you want pure water. So this, this water in heaven, it's lively. It's pure, clear as crystal. It shows the beauty and purity, sparkling clean. And it, what does it say? Another attribute of this pure water river is that it's of life. It's clear as crystal. And it's proceeding what? Out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Well, that would make sense. Just anything that has life, anything that's beautiful and pure and clean, it must come from God. It's proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's expressing His very nature. Let's go. That's the pure river. The second thing here about this garden, secondly, is the produce of the garden. Let's go to verse 2. The produce. Anybody like to go? Uh, all right. Well, let's just talk about this right now. Kids, what's your favorite? Tell me some of your, quickly, your favorite fruit. Raise your hand if you want to tell me your favorite fruit. Seamus, what's your favorite fruit? Mango. Okay, mango. Yeah. Noah loves mango. Grant. 
Peach. Yes, peaches. All right, Josh. Watermelon. Watermelon. Benjamin. Mango. You like dried mango? My kids like dried mango. All right, Abby. Strawberries. Aren't you glad God made strawberries? Yes, Noah. What? Nectarines. Noah likes almost every fruit. Calder. Dragon fruit. My daughter was trying that later. Just dragon fruit stuff. Does anybody like dragon? I've never tried it. Is it good? All right, cool. Don't let the name fool me. Okay. I remember, yes. Kalia. I mean, Akira. Huh? What is it? Peaches, yes, yes. My wife goes to the Superstition Ranch Market over on, there's two of them. She goes to the one in Mesa. And one time, I think they had a bunch of like blackberries for cheap. And, I'm, and I go, all right, let's just get them. And I got them, I brought them home, and I tried to do the jam thing. And uh, I did okay. I was the only one that ate it, but, you know, <laughs> I did okay. I, I made it low sugar. Uh, maybe that's why my boys didn't. I didn't it. Sometimes it's too sweet. That's eh, good. I liked it. That's good. I like fruit. Okay, so let's look at the fruit here in this garden. All right, the produce. In the midst of the street of it. Oh, wow. It's nearby. It's very accessible. You go down the street, it's nice to have something nearby. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life. The tree of life was where the fruit's found. How many of you guys like when you're driving? I mean, we're so used to this. This is common. When we're driving, what do we do? Oh, there's a McDonald's. I don't want McDonald's. Oh, there's a Burger King. I don't want Burger King. Oh, there's a, what's the salad and go? We got some salad and go. I haven't been there yet. Oh, wait, one time I did. Oh, salad and go. Cool, yeah. It's pretty inconvenient right on the side of the, of the road there. That's what it says here. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river. No, whoa, this is even better. There's somehow some median on the street of, man, we're getting some you know, civil engineering descriptions here of Heaven's Roads. I don't know all of it about, all we can go is what's stated. There's roads, there's a street. Street of gold in the middle, there's some kind of median, and there's fruit. That is cool. Over here by Morrison Ranch, you know what I like? You know what they have in the middle of the two streets by Morrison Ranch over here? Higley and um, Elliott area? They got something. They got little pecan trees growing. I saw somebody out there in the midst of the street, and we were driving on either side. It wasn't gold streets, but we were driving on either side, and there's a lady out there collecting pecans. I thought, that's a good idea. Don't let them go to waste. Well, somehow in heaven, this is what it's describing, that there's this tree of life, apparently multiple ones, because it's talking about multi, multiple types of fruit. Um, there's that produce. There's access. The point is, God says you have access to it, even while you're driving or walking or whatever. I don't know. Uh, and then also, it says nearby the river, on either side of the river was a tree of life. Notice the three benefits of this produce. It was, we see that it's very accessible, but let's look at the three benefits. First is, we're, there's a benefit of varying type of fruit. Look what it says. Verse 3, I'm um, not verse 3, verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which what? Bear 12 manner of fruits. Hey, you ever get kind of sick of one kind of fruit? Sometimes, maybe. Maybe you do. You're like, all right, I had too many, too much watermelon. I mean, I think one time I had too much cantaloupe. I was like, ah, I'm going to wait on cantaloupe for a while, you know. And, uh, well, here you have in heaven 12 varied fruit, a variety of fruit. Um, and then what else? Here's another benefit of this heavenly produce. You have varied fruit, 
You have constant fruit. Well, that's good. Look what it says. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. That's cool. Every month there's fruit. Now, the fact is, in Arizona, we got fruit. We got stuff we can produce year-round because of our the nature of our fields. I think they can grow like lettuce around, all just different things. But in a lot of places around the world, you can't just have uh, a fruit year-round. We can't have oranges year-round every month, but we have it yearly. But we can have some kind of fruit year-round. And that's what it's saying about heaven. Hey, there's always some fruit year-round. Um, by the way, it's apparently they're keeping track of time with some months here. That's interesting. The benefit of constant fruit. Uh, it's, and it's unguarded, open for the taking. That's cool. I remember sometimes we'd get um, kids when we, we used to have uh, the here at the church had some grapefruit trees and something got to them, but they produce good grapefruit and kids would go up, just take them. And sometimes kids would just throw them away, you know, it would happen to some of our figs. One time I had a guy visiting here from um, uh, India. Uh, he was actually a missionary. He was a national Indian from India, national pastor coming here, exposing his work to the States. And uh, he had some mutual acquaintances. So I never I didn't get to have him preach, but I had him give testimony in the church and everything. We talked and everything. And it was, it was nice talking with him. And uh, I remember we took him out to, uh, at the time, uh, Old Country Buffet was over there in Mesa. We took him to it and we took him to lunch and he ate and he kept going back for seconds on meat. He's like, I don't get a lot of meat in my country. You know, that's not his accent, something like that. But, you know, you're like, I know the accent of a guy from India, Pastor. That's not it. I know, it's something, you know. I don't get a lot of meat, something like that. You know, I don't know. But anyways, it was nice talking. He's a really nice guy. And I wish I could have met him, have him come back, but he had to pass through. But he's a guy, and he had a pile of like sliced turkey, sliced roast beef, sliced ham. And he went through like two plates. So he goes, I just don't get a lot of meat back there. I'm like, I understand with all the, the, the religion they have there. But when he, before we left, he was out in the backyard. And then we had like three, we had probably a couple of our citrus trees. And we had three fig trees at the time. And the kids were out there playing. And he's walking around like this. He's looking and he's looking on the ground and seeing the fruit on the ground. And he said, in my country, it doesn't even, it never hits the hand before it ever hits the ground. You know, it never hits the ground. Um, and so, you know, he, he just realized our abundance is being ignored. But here, here's the Bible. There's fruit. And again, no yucky stuff on there. Insects crawling out of it. Some, you know, worm getting to the tree. Nope, tree of life, man. Eternal stuff. It's going to be good. And so here's the produce of heaven. It's varied. It's constant. But also, this is something I don't quite understand. But let's just take a peek at it and make a few comments. It's also another benefit of this tree. Somehow, some way, there's some therapeutic benefit of this fruit. Look what it says. The leaves of the tree were free of the healing of the nations. Aha, pastor, see? They have tea in heaven. That's it right there. No, I don't know if what that, maybe they're having tea. Maybe they're, they're crunching it up, putting it on their salad. I don't know what they're doing. Um, but it says the leaves of the tree were feel the healing of the nations. Now, the reason why it kind of perplexes me, because we're not corrupt. There's no sin curse. But somehow there's some kind of other enhancement. 
Now, here's the best way, and I, again, I don't have my mind totally wrapped around it. All I know is this. Look at, the, look at the words there. When it says, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The word healing is exactly the word therapy. It's therapia. It transliterates to therapy. Leaves of the tree were for the therapy of the nations. Somehow the nations that will be in some form then, there's some therapy there. And that's all I can tell you. But there's fruit. Yay, fruit. That's cool. That's good. Number three, as we go through this new Garden of Eden, there's a pure river, there's produce, and thirdly, there's proximity to God. Proximity to God. Look what it says in verse Three, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Then it goes on to describe how we're interacting with God, closely seeing His face, proximity to God, finally get to be with and close to the Lord. Proximity to God. Let's show you four aspects of this proximity. First of all, this proximity is because there's no curse. We are without the curse. And we're going to camp out on this thought. I'm so glad that it says, there shall be no more curse, verse 3. I love that. The curse means that means there's no more plaguing on our bodies, plaguing on our minds and emotions, plagued in nature of all the decay and disease and violence. No more of that. Do you getting that? Imagine how much, um, what this means for your emotions. Some of you maybe haven't. Do you know you're not going to have emotional problems anymore? You're not going to have mental problems anymore. You're not going to have the physical problems anymore. You're not going to have people problems anymore. Yeah, that right there, that means no more curse. You're not going to get poisoned and step on a thorn and be like, ouch, nope, no more curse. And other, we're not going to have a distance from God in some fogginess between us and God anymore. No, our faith shall be sight and we'll be with them because we'll be taking on a new incorruptible body in an incorruptible place and there's proximity to God and the curse is gone. There's four aspects of this proximity. We're without the curse. I want to, I read something. This is uh, interesting. I'll read it to you. Joni Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic and great Christian testimony she has. She can only she can only have sense from the neck up, and she's, I don't know how old she is now, but um, good testimony. But she told a story of how she was speaking to a, a class of mentally handicapped uh, Christian kids. Mentally handicapped Christian kids. And so she's speaking to them, and um, she said that uh, when she described to them that uh, she was going to get a new body, they thought it was really neat because they're watching her. You know, she's very incapacitated in her chair. And she says, I'm going to get a new body. And they thought, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. And then she said back to them, again, mentally handicapped kids, impaired. They said, and you're going to get new minds. And when they heard that, they broke out into applause. <laughs> they broke they had that even that sense that that was good for them. And um, they knew their limitations, but in heaven, it's unshackled. Unshackled and renewed. Joni also wrote this, or Johnny, however you want to say her name, uh, wrote this. Let me read you a quote that what she said. She said, I can still hardly believe that I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, and gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. 
She's looking forward to that, isn't she? Can you imagine the hope this gives someone like me? Or someone who's cerebral palsied or brain injured or someone who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope it gives them. Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy literally promises new bodies, new hearts, new emotions, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such an incredible promise. Isn't that true? That's good. And, that, and that, I think that's why God's showing us. Look at, at the end of the book. See this? This is for you. You should want to go here. And you should can't wait to get out of this thing. And it will happen on the merits of Jesus and because of Jesus and by Jesus. So that's proximity to God without a curse. Here's another aspect. It's with service to Him. We get to, have serve, we get to serve Him. Look what it says there in verse 3. And His servants at the end shall serve Him. Well, that's good. That means I'll be up close with them. We serve Him now. I serve God now, but I serve by faith, not by sight. And here it's like we, we're going to have this closeness and connectiveness. His servants shall serve Him even more so. They shall, look what it says next. See his face. That's another aspect. I will see his face. Now, I believe somehow, someway, we'll be able to still perceive the scars on Jesus. Perhaps there'll still be a little dimple scars around his head. Perhaps we'll see and be able to plunge our hand into his hand and our hand into his side and see the scars on the side and on his feet. We'll see his face. We'll have eternal reminders of our redemption when we see Him. Isn't that amazing? Proximity to God without a curse, with service to Him, while with seeing His face, and with an identity toward Him, with, by Him. Look what it says. With His name, His name shall be what? In their foreheads. I don't know if that means like a heavenly tattoo that doesn't turn green. Or if it's a play, I don't know. I don't really care. God knows, God will do good, you know. He won't like misspell something. Right? You've heard of the misspell tattoos? Kids, don't get a tattoo. It's just dumb. It's dumb. There's other reasons too, but more spiritual. But um, don't do it. Anyways, uh, God's going to put a name. I don't care if you can put, I'm his, you know. Maybe I'll have a better looking forehead or something. I don't know. You know, it, 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 or I don't know why, but he, his name, but he, the real meaning of all this, of him putting his name on our forehead, is like, you belong to me, and you're special. You're important. I put my name on you. No, wait a minute. It says, his name shall be in their foreheads. I'm putting my name on you. It's a personal claim. He shows ownership, and, it sh and you get a feel of privilege. I belong to him. I'm not my own. That's how it is now, anyways. The Holy Spirit is in us, and we're not our own. We're bought with a price, so we should glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. So, wow, proximity to God. Then the last aspect of this new Garden of Eden is perpetual order or dominance. I'm taking the group description here of verse 5. There's no night. Shall be no night there. Need no candle. Neither the light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. They got this under control. They, they, 
God's, God's side, he's got the light, and we don't, oh, we're not going to have a blackout. Eh, we got this under control. Jesus is here. He just keeps it shining. And if Jesus travels away, God the Father's there. He keeps it shining. He's got this, we, there's, there's perpetual dominance. It says that the, the Lord God giveth them light. I like the last phrase, they shall reign forever and ever. They shall reign forever and ever. Under control. Wow. We live between two gardens <laughs> right now. There's the Garden of Eden. You're not going back to the Garden of Eden, by the way. I don't care how many things you get at Sprouts, how many essential oils, and I'm all for that you know, healthy stuff. I, am. I use essential oils sometimes, but you're not going back to Eden. You're going to the better one. You can still, we're going to enhance. I want to, I want to breathe better. I want to get rid of skin issues just like you do, but it's just, you, you know, I'm going to get reminded one day that I'm out of Eden and I'm going to die of corruption. But I'll have a new Eden and it'll be forever. We live between two gardens. Let me say a couple more things. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. I, lo I love this. He's talking about the idea of us right now. Here we are living this life. You're here tonight. You probably have a hunger tonight. You want to go eat. Some of you kids are getting anxious. You want to go swim sometime this spring. Some of you are getting tired. You want to sleep. Some of you are going to go home. You know, your dog's uh, hungry. You can give your dog something. He talks about human desires and human emotions, and then he relates it to heaven. Now listen to this. He says, Creatures are not born without desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, well, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to fully satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, then I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly sensories and blessings. But on the other hand, to never mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside, that desire. I must make it the, uh, the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Isn't that good? He basically says the, the core thought was, if I find in myself a desire that no earthly thing can satisfy, I must be made for another country, another place. I think it's God's given us a little hint here. And that's what you see here. You see this descriptions of heaven and you see in ourselves desires that are fulfilled, but then there's some longing. It's like it's because there's a true north that we're, our soul is pointing toward. So let me conclude with this. However, you're, how, think about this. As we looked at this tonight, look at a river, you look at the produce, you look at being close to God and no curse. I just want to conclude with this, these thoughts. 
is this. So it makes me realize that however painful life is, it's not forever. <laughs> however um, confusing life can be, it's not forever. However um, difficult people can be, it won't be forever. However frustrating I get with myself, it's not forever. However disabled I am in fumbling through life, it's not forever. Because he says it's not forever. But he, is a, our God, is a good God, has established something good forever and incorruptible. And that's just wonderful. And that's, he wants us to see, he wants us to get a little glimpse of the city we're headed to. And I hope that helps us to 